Thank you so much. Um, a group of about 40 or so of us were at Ashburnham on, uh, on Thursday. For those of you that are visiting or don't know, Ashburnham is a Christian conference center just down the road, really. And um, uh, we are going to have a gathering there the last weekend of August, and, um, which we're so looking forward to. And to be honest, after this prayer uh, time, I'm looking forward to it even more. I mean, it was just an amazing time of prayer, prophetic encouragements, and uh, just sensing the expectation of what God's going to do uh, through that weekend was just wonderful. So I do hope you're coming. <laughs> and um, if you're not coming, there's just a few more weeks to get you to come. So I would love to see the possibility of some of you there. Let me just let you into a secret. The two largest groups that are booked in are my church and yours. And uh, we had another 12 book in just last week. So we're now just a little bit ahead of you. So if you want to... I get the feeling Hastings people are a bit competitive underneath. Do you know what I mean? And uh, so I would love to encourage you. Go on, get more people than we've got coming. And then we can proudly announce it maybe while we're there. If you don't hear anything, you know that you're lost. So I would really, seriously, it's going to be a tremendous time. We have almost 2,000 people coming, and I'm just so full of expectation. And a great joy is that loads and loads of them come from different nations. There's at least 30-something Italians going to be with us, and it's just a great um, opportunity to gather in this area to lift up the name of Jesus, but also to hear about mission and to really go forward in God's purposes. Can I just say also um, that one of the most exciting things I've seen online this year, without any doubt, has been your, I think, your most recent baptisms. I think you had nine baptisms. And someone said, go online. I've been telling everybody to go online now, everywhere, about these baptisms, because they were just so exciting. I was just so thrilled to watch these changed life. Some of you are here this morning, and you don't know this, but your, your baptism has gone all over the place, and uh, because it's such good news to see people being baptized to follow the Lord Jesus. It was just fantastic, breathtaking, the, the way that people's lives have been changed, and the way you were so brave to declare it was just fantastic, wonderful. I don't know if you're here today, but there was, a, I think, a lady baptizing her husband, and uh, it, was the, I mean, it was amazing. Whoever you, you were, your husband didn't stand a chance because you, you just kind of declared how excited you were that he was getting back. You even gave him a kiss. It's all on camera. And, uh, and then you said, we, so it's my privilege to baptize you, my husband, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you so aggressively pushed him under. It's just like you couldn't wait to get this thing done. It was brilliant. So it was an amazing, and that also was the most hilarious thing online I've ever said. You really do need to give some of your people who baptize people a little bit more training. And when Alid actually disappeared under the person that was being baptized, I, I don't often laugh out loud, but I was just in raucous laughter. And I, the great thing about online is that you can go back and watch it again. So I've got... Alid sinking, sinking, sinking. It actually gets funnier every time that you watch. So baptisms are a time of great joy and declaration of what God is doing. And it was just full of everything that was happening, which is brilliant. I was actually here at one of your midweek prayer meetings right at the beginning of this year. And um, when I was there, something kind of stirred within me that I've kind of kept and I'm bringing it today, after all these many months. And I felt to share with you a passage from uh, Numbers. And if you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Numbers chapter 13. And uh, while we were praying together, I just had this sense, and you'll see it from this text, that the way we see ourselves as individuals, and then the way we see ourselves corporately as a church, is so very important if we're going to fulfill God's purposes through us. In other words, if we see ourselves wrongly, if I see myself wrongly or I see my church wrongly, then there are certain things that God has for us to do that we may not ever accomplish. And um, 
I just want to turn to this text. It's been many, many months, and a lot of you weren't there. But I felt this was a word for us as a church, and I felt it's a word, hopefully, for many individuals here today as well. And it's ever so interesting, because since then, you've been doing this series in Acts, and you've been looking at Acts of Courage. And just to encourage you, I know of several churches, just in our small family, that have been looking at a similar thing. My own church has been looking at the whole subject of courage. And many, many people have started to do some things that have really resulted in tremendous breakthrough in different areas. And these passages of Scripture we're looking at today has to do with this. So I want to read to you from Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. It may come behind on the screen as well. It's a story of the spies being sent out into the promised land, which God has already promised to give them. And spies are sent in to go and look around. There's 12 of them, and they come back, and 10 of them give one report, and two give something slightly different. The two that give the different one are Joshua and Caleb. But the others, verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Now, it's important to pause there, Because God had prophetically said to them, I will give you this land, and it flows with milk and honey. So they came back and acknowledged whatever, I never, I don't know what flows with milk and honey is, but he's acknowledging, they're acknowledging the the second half of the prophetic promise is true. They should have immediately said, so he'll give us this land. Because he described it, and this is what it's going to be like, and this is what we're going to go into. And it does flow with milk and honey. And look, here's some of its fruit. They brought back some grapes and they showed them to everybody. Verse 28. But, it's always a kind of difficult situation when you're bringing back a... Do you ever speak to anybody who... You know that what they're saying is not what they're coming to, yeah? You know there's a but coming. Dave, we really thank you this morning for what you shared with us. And it was really helpful and the Lord really... And I know there's a but coming, (laughs) But the people who live there are powerful. It's quite a bold statement, isn't it, really? If you assess people and you look at them, the people who live there are powerful. Now, there's a hint that because these people are powerful, although God has promised us this land, we probably won't be able to take it. Why? Because the people are powerful. And the cities are fortified. I don't think God ever said they weren't. But they're making an assessment of the situation. The people are powerful. The cities are fortified. And then you see this phrase, and very large. Now, it's important to pause there because the report coming back is less and less about the milk and honey and more and more about the opposition. And more and more reports are coming back about the size of the fortified city, the fact that people are powerful, and that they are that the cities are very large, as if size has got to do with anything. And then it says, we even saw descendants from Anak there. And the Anak were a bit like the Dutch. I've been prayed for in meetings in Holland, where I stood in the middle, and they've gathered people around me, and I've just disappeared. Because everyone, and that's just the women, Everyone's over six foot, two, three, four, five. I mean, the Dutch are huge. It's like saying we cannot go and take the land. Why? Because the Dutch are there. That's what they're saying. So the, the people of Anak had this reputation of being very tall, very large. Well, to make it worse, the Amaleks, Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. As if that, God already knew these nations were there. What are you talking about? We're just reminding you. And there's lots of them, and they're all very tall. And the Canaanites, they live near the sea and all along the Jordan. In other words, every bit of the land is full up. Then Caleb, who's one of the two, silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land For we can certainly do it. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people, 
It's just a statement. It's all full of statements. They're not asking questions and asking Moses' opinion. We can't attack those people. Why? They are stronger than we are. Who says? How do you know? Well, we're just making the statement. We're convinced. We can't attack them because they're stronger than we are. And they spread. (laughs) It's interesting. They spread among the Israelites a bad report, which means they said lots of other things as well. They got into the press about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Do you get the hint that they don't want to go there? Are you getting the hint that they don't want anyone else to go there? Are you getting the hint that they're thinking about themselves all the time? And they're viewing the situation. They must be saying, well, we're not as powerful, that we can't do these things, that they're bigger than us, that the land, if we get there, it devours them. Well, who says? All the people, here we go again. What is it with this problem of size? All the people we saw, all the people. So even now the little children are six foot. All the people we saw there are of great size. And they keep exaggerating they're tall, they're bigger, they're great, they're huge. So we can't take the land. Why? Because the people, the opposition, are bigger than we are. And it gets ridiculous, verse 33. We saw the Nephilim there. Now the Nephilim is a bit strange. They're kind of like a mythological a crowd of people who were kind of like giants. And we saw, they say, the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. So you've got all these tall people and you've got these big problems and these mysterious people are there. And then they make this amazing statement. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. How on earth they know that, I have no idea. But they presume that the way... People, they saw themselves was the way that everybody else saw them. I know loads of people in my life that are just like that. They have a view of themselves and they think this is how everybody else sees them. This is a rich passage. We could have ten sermons out of this passage alone because of the the, the amount of things that are going on here. I want to say to you this morning (laughs) that there's one word that describes everything that's going on. And if you've been looking at Acts of Courage and the book of Acts, you'll know this kind of weaves in and out. And the word is this, intimidation. In my text this morning, I want to talk about the fact that there should be no intimidation in our lives individually and corporately as a church. The way you see yourself and the opposition is very, very important. This room is full of people. I'm one of them in this room. So this is me as much as you, that face intimidation every day of our lives to one degree or another. I am amazed how easy I find myself giving into the intimidation of the size of the problem or the things people say about me or the way I'm feeling about myself. You see, if you see yourself as a grasshopper, that's exactly how you think everybody else sees you. It couldn't have been further from the truth. They were declaring things about themselves that were not true. These were the people of God. These were the people with an identity that everywhere they went, they took the presence of God with them. They couldn't be further from grasshoppers if they tried. But because they thought of themselves in a certain way, they presumed that everybody else saw them just the same. To overcome intimidation, you need, first of all, I've got four things, you need, first of all, to know who you are. These people have forgotten who they were. I think Joshua and Caleb had remembered who they were. If you just go into Numbers chapter 14, the next chapter, just two or three verses there, verse 7, when Joshua and Caleb are bringing back their report, They said this, the land we pass through and explore is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, just like these other guys said, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. 
Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Same, they all agreed. The people were big, the cities were fortified, the walls were going up to heaven, there was huge opposition. But two of them knew who they were, and the other ten had forgotten. You need to know who you are this morning. If you are a child of God, facing great opposition, knowing who you are is very important. There's nothing special about you. You're not going to overcome this opposition through your own strength. It's never going to happen. You you pass people in Hastings and they don't turn and look at you because there's nothing particularly outward special about you. But you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you are a child of God. And you now live in his authority and in his name. And that changes everything. It changes the way you understand and view yourself according to the word of God has dramatic repercussions for the rest of your life. So first of all, they knew who they were, Joshua and Caleb, which is why 40 years later, the two of them got to go in. And it must have been so exciting. We told you 40 years... Oh, you're all dead. Anyway, we told 40 years ago, 40 years ago we said this, and now we get to go into the land. They're both in their 80s. They'd always believed it was true. Because they had a good identity of themselves. The second thing is this. You have to know who the enemy is. See, Joshua and Caleb said, well, we're not, we're not grasshoppers. We're children of God. So, and what about this opposition? These people thought, they, the rest of the people saw themselves as grasshoppers. These people thought, the, cat, the, the, the spies just thought over and over again about the opposition, how big it was and how tall they were and how big the problem is. Do you know what the reality is? If you read these scriptures, you'll know. These people in the land were the ones who were afraid. The truth is, they'd heard that the people of God, whom they'd heard all these amazing counts of Red Seas opening and miraculous provision and miracles happening, these people have come here. And the truth was that the people in the land, the Hittites and all the rest of it, They were shaking in their boots. They were terrified. Can it be true? These people have come. They're going to come to our land. So the spies got it completely wrong. Knowing who your opposition is is very important. Do you know the ones who oppose you? Do you know the one who opposes you behind them? Do you know that he is defeated? Do you know that he already has lost the outcome of the battle that we are fighting. That is the truth. The third thing that helped them to overcome this sense of intimidation is they knew who God is. They knew who God is. They knew him. They walked with him. They experienced him. But above all, they knew the revelation that they had of him. And this is the God that's with you and me. And if God is with you, who can stand against you. I don't care if they're Dutch. It's irrelevant. I don't care if they're all nine foot tall. Size has got nothing to do with the issue when God is with you. Some of us think, well, we're facing big things, so how big would you like them? God's with you. God is bigger than any of the problems. Nothing is impossible for him. If you want to do acts of courage, (laughs) if you want to overcome intimidation, know who you are, know who the opposition is, and know this God who is with you. The fourth way they overcame all opposition was they also knew the promises of God. And they put faith not in themselves or their size or their resources, but they put their faith alone in, in this God who had spoken. The amazing thing about God is this. He's faithful to every promise that he ever speaks. You know, if I made you a promise this morning, some of you would look at me and rightly so would question whether or not I could fulfill that promise. Of course you should. Some of you have no idea who I am. Why would you believe me? Some of you who do know me a little bit would also know that Dave gets some things right And he gets a lot of things wrong. Some of you are looking at me and thinking, this guy looks like he might be in his 60s now. 
he's getting older, he might even forget the things that he once said. And some of you are sitting, well, it's great you've made us a promise, but I've got no idea whether you've got the power in order to fulfill the promises. Listen, folks, all those things I've just said about me are totally not true about God. He is faithful. He never forgets. He has no regrets about what he said. He has the power to do everything that he has promised, and he will keep every promise. You face intimidation with a huge God who has made the most remarkable promises about everything that is opposing you. Everything that opposes you and me. He has made a way. For you and for me. It might just be this week you're facing some real big problems and difficulties. You think, how am I going to overcome? I'm feeling intimidated by this. For some of us, it may be thinking about King's Church and the prophetic promises that God has made and about the fact that this church is going to be a church that Jesus is building and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and that we're going to take this town and we're going to really make a difference all over this area. And then you come in here on Sunday morning and you look around all the troops and you think, I'm not sure we've got this right. And then you look at the leaders and then you're pretty convinced we haven't got this. I mean, who's going to do this? How are we going to make this sort of thing happen? Maybe that. Or it may be just increasingly living in a secularized European environment. So I was in Paris just this last Friday, meeting with a church eldership team right in the center of Paris. I know the statistics of Paris. I know how many people do not know Jesus. You kind of can get totally overwhelmed by being in some of these European cities when you know the stats. And then you see what God's word says. How on earth are we going to make an impact upon this city or this nation? So we all face constantly all kinds of things that have the potential to intimidate us. Very quickly, I think the whole story of David and Goliath, which most people know, is exactly the same as as what we're reading here this morning. Here we have a big man. We're back to size again. The Bible's all full of this thing of size. He's nine foot, he stands up, and he just shouts and swears at all the people. Everyone gets intimidated, and they all run away into their little trench, and they're shaking in their boots because they can't face this guy. Little guy called David comes along. I don't know if he was little, but it just helps the illustration. Little guy called David comes along, and he looks up at the size of this guy, and he doesn't see the size. And he says to all his brothers, why on earth are you not... Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you think he has a bit of a different perspective to his brothers? I think so. He's not looking at a nine-foot guy. He's seeing God. He said, well, however big this... The, the bigger they are, the harder they'll fall. What's your problem? So he gets out his sling, throws it, kills Goliath dramatically, cuts off his head, and then the whole army comes to win a victory. And I think it's exactly the same as Joshua and Caleb. You see, David knew who he was. He's circumcised. He's part of the promises of God. So he knows this guy cannot stand in the way. God has spoken. He knows who his opposition is. Are you getting the picture here? He knew himself. He knew the opposition. Secondly, this guy may be big, but he's rubbish compared to the word of God which will prevail. And then, of course, he knows that God, Jehovah God, is with me. He will. I don't know how it's going to happen because he is pretty big, but God is going to do it. And then he knows the promises of God that everywhere you put your foot, you will win. You will. You will overcome, and you'll win the day. The Israelites had forgotten who they were, forgotten who the opposition was, forgotten that God was with them, and then they'd even forgotten the promises of God. What about Jesus? It's interesting that when you come to the New Testament, you might fall into the trap thing. well, Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't intimidated by anybody or anything. How wrong you are. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and one of the ways that Jesus was, to be, was, was often tempted was to be intimidated by situations that he faced. The good news for us is this. Jesus overcame Every intimidation that was thrown at him. Come back to that in a moment. You read, for instance, Mark's gospel. 
chapters 1, 2, 3, most of chapter 4, are full of a wonderful account of Jesus bursting on the scene. Miracles are happening. People are being healed. Crowds are coming. The disciples think, here we go, here we go, here we go. And we're going to take the kingdom of God and it's going to be absolutely amazing. And then all of a sudden, you get to the end of chapter 4 of Mark and into chapter 5, it's intimidation and opposition all around Jesus all the time. So he gets in a boat and there's this enormous storm and the disciples are all frightened. Jesus is asleep in the boat and they're terrified, intimidated at the power of the storm. Where's Jesus? He's asleep. But this storm has come, you see, to intimidate Jesus, to prevent him from moving forward. Jesus, as many of you know the story, gets up, speaks to the storm, it calms, and everything then is put in place. The disciples who were frightened of the storm are now frightened of Jesus. He's more terrifying than creation. Well, there's a hint there, isn't it? Because he was the one who created it in the first place. And then after, in chapter 5, after, the, after he's dealt with the opposition, intimidation, potential of creation, he finds himself facing a demoniac. And the demoniac comes running down the hill towards him. Just got through the storm and there's this guy coming towards him. Full of demons that Jesus then is intimidated by, potentially, but overcomes by setting the guy free. Then he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, but on the way there gets waylaid by a woman who touches him, who's been sick for so many years. And he heals her, and then he goes on. By the time he gets to Jairus' daughter, she's dead. Now listen, intimidated by creation, by the devil, by sickness, and death itself. And on every situation, you can miss this, this is why I'm just laboring it for a moment, the whole thing is surrounded by terrible intimidation. In the storm, it's being surrounded by fishermen and you're a carpenter. What do you know about storms? They're experts. This is the storm that's going to take us down. For Jesus, it's neither here nor there. Gets to the demoniac, and this isn't someone with some disturbed psychological kind of condition. He says, so who are you? And he says, legion. There are, what, what's that about? There's too many of us for you to deal with. You can handle a little psychological problem. This is intimidation, folks. No one has been able to help this guy. He's running around naked. He's chained. He breaks the chain. There's no one on earth that can do anything for this person. And Jesus speaks right into the situation. And the man is delivered you can look excited if you like, because it's all true stories. And delivered, and he's set free miraculously. The interesting thing about the woman who's got this illness is that it goes into quite a lot of detail. She had had this illness for 12 years. She had been to every single doctor that you could you understand. Stay with me. This is the intimidation. Jesus, she's been to every doctor, and no one has been able to heal her. She's spent loads of money, and nothing has happened. I've learned over the years that if I pray for someone who's sick, just give me the first sentence. Don't tell me anything more. Because I spoke to I said, what, can I pray for you? What's wrong with you? And then half an hour later, I'm so intimidated by all the things you've got wrong with you. Why did I ever ask? Jesus heals this woman miraculously. If you follow the story and she gets, he gets to the place where Jairus' daughter is dead. It's a fascinating story. You can read it in, Matthew chap- in Mark chapter 4, verses uh, 35 to 43. It's all there. You can read it later. It's a remarkable situation. He gets there. They come out to him. Don't bother the teacher. Why? Because, well, he could have healed her, but she's now dead. Intimidation. You might be able to heal some sick people, but she's now really, really dead. He gets to the house, and they have mourners all around the house. And if you ever watch anything about the Middle East, when it comes to a funeral, you have people, and some of them are even paid, by the way, they're professional wailers and mourners. And as Jesus approaches the house to deal with this dead girl, everybody 
is wailing. So he's having to get through all the intimidation of the evidence that everybody knows this child has died. And he says, she's not died, she's asleep, which means actually she is dead, but I'm going to raise her from the dead. And they all mocked him and laughed at him. Do you ever get anyone mock you or laugh at you by the things you believe, the things you say, and the things you do? Listen, Jesus was mocked. He was oppressed. He had people who were against him. It was very, very, very difficult. And into this situation, Jesus sends them all away, clear off. And he walks in. And as he goes in, he finds himself a situation, just a few people, and he raises her from the dead. It's not that he just overcame creation. It's not that he just overcame demonic strongholds or sickness or death itself. It's that in the process, he had to walk through potential intimidation. Do you know why? Because Jesus knew who he was, and he knew who the opposition was, and he knew that God the Father was with him, and the power of the Holy Spirit was working through him, and he knew the promises of God. Exactly the same as all those centuries before with Joshua and Caleb and with David. Exactly the same. It's interesting to me, when I've read through these passages in Mark, Jesus doesn't say very much when it comes to dealing with these potential intimidation situations. I think he'd learnt there was power and authority in the words that he spoke. Just said to the wind, quiet, be still. Said to the demoniac, come out. He said to the woman who was sick, be healed. He said to Jairus' daughter, Get up. Not a lot of words, is there, in that? Because of his identity of who he knew he was. Jesus was never intimidated by anyone or anything. You've got to remember the devil tried to intimidate him through temptation. He overcame every time. The religious leaders, it says sometimes they sat around the edge. I've been in meetings like that where I've been preaching and there's some people, this is not, if you're on the edge, by the way, this is not you, okay? Just to let you know. But they're sitting around the edge and they're not happy with me and what I'm saying and I know that and their arms are folded, a bit like Paul at the moment. Their arms are folded and they're kind of looking at me and I'm, they're sussing me out and they're, it's very intimidating. Jesus had, all his preaching, had a back row of intimidators from Jerusalem who'd come down just to suss him out. It's intimidation. He was even intimidated by his disciples. They were a pain sometimes. The opposition didn't sometimes, the intimidation didn't sometimes come from out there. It came from those in his own camp. Get behind me, Satan, was said to one of his disciples. Intimidation. The cross was potentially hugely intimidating to Jesus. And he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's he doing? He's dealing with the issue of of intimidation. Every person in this room gets intimidated, and so did Jesus. This is is meant to be encouraging you. (laughs) There's one who's gone before you that's faced every intimidation that you and I will ever face for the rest of our lives, and he overcame every one of them, including the cross for which he did not think of himself. And he said, Father, nevertheless, this is just an amazing moment of overcoming intimidation. Not my will, but your will be done. Hallelujah. And then he faces the intimidation of death. A terrible death on the cross and death itself. And he faces death itself, dying and lying in the tomb and being raised up again. Obvious, these intimidations. But let me just share with you quickly, Jesus sometimes faced very subtle intimidation. Let me give you one example that some of us in this room are facing right now. Jesus has his disciples around him, and he's he's sharing with them, he's teaching them, he's discipling them through his teaching. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And what's happened is, as Jesus is teaching, Jesus' mother and brothers have come. Now, the question is, why have they come? They haven't come to listen to his teaching. Do you know why they've come? They've come to stop him in his tracks, because although they know that he's supposed to be the son of God, they actually have come to the conclusion he's overboard, he really is somebody who, who has gone a bit crazy. That's what they're thinking. And so they stand outside while Jesus is talking. You have to, you have to watch me this morning just for a few moments, because otherwise it won't work. And they, 
they don't go in. What do they do? They sent a little guy. I, again, I don't, I, just because this morning's all been about size, it's just helpful. They send this little guy in as a servant. They say, go and tell Jesus his mothers and brothers are outside. That's all the message that they give. What are they thinking? They're thinking, well, Jesus always honors his mother and father. He always, he's always been a good, God, good boy. He always came straight away whenever we called him. Jesus may be, may be important on his mission, but we're more important. We're his mother. We're his brothers. All we have to say is your mother and brothers, and Jesus is a good little boy. He'll come running out immediately because he knows that we're here. So the little guy, he goes in, and Jesus is preaching, discipling. And maybe the little guy is just standing there patiently, kind of waiting. And actually, if you're a preacher and something happens at the front, of course, every eye goes on that person. <laughs> and so Jesus has continued to preach, but probably can't do it any longer because everybody's looking at the little guy who's standing there. And then, eventually, Jesus says to him, yep, little guy, your mother and your brothers are outside. What you've got to understand is what's going on right now. This is emotional blackmail. This is total intimidation. And Jesus has now got to make a choice as to whether he submits to this intimidation of his family members. There are people in this room today who are intimidated, not by storms at sea, but family members who make opinions and who speak. And emotional blackmail can be immensely intimidating. Jesus carries on preaching and says, who are my mother and my brothers? Talk about offensive. You are my mother and brothers who do the will of seeing this kingdom come and advance. We're just carrying on direction. And I can just, just picture this, the little guy's going, so what, what, what's going on here? You're supposed to go because it's your mum and your brothers, and I don't know what to do. And I think Jesus just carried on. I mean, it's my imagination, but I presume this is what happened. And in the end, the little guy either got bored or thought, well, they're still standing out there. And meanwhile, mother and brothers, 10 minutes, 15, this is very weird, he always comes, he's not come, I'll sort him out when we get home, he's been disobedient for the first time in his life, and it goes on and on and on, and eventually, the little guy comes out, not Jesus, just the guy that they sent in now comes out, and he's standing before them, and they're looking at him, and he says, "Um, you know that you thought you were his mother, and you know you guys thought that you were, you're not, because he's just told them that they're their mother, and they're their brother's. And you can imagine the offense. Jesus will not give in to intimidation, however subtle and difficult it might be for him personally. He overcomes every intimidation. It's amazing. As Christians that are so intimidated, and as churches too, maybe we've forgotten who we are. Maybe we've forgotten who the opposition is. Maybe we've forgotten that God is with us. And maybe we've forgotten his promises. And here's the brilliant news as we kind of round this off. This Jesus has now come to live in you. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. How am I going to overcome this opposition? In Jesus. Why? Because he's already overcome everything. How am I going to have the authority? It's in his authority. How on earth am I going to overcome this big opposition? There's one greater in you than there is in the world. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how big the problem is, there's one bigger in you who's already overcome. All we've got to do is live in him and live in the power of the Holy Spirit and know that our identity is in Christ. We will not overcome intimidation through our own efforts. And our struggles, if only we can get through this, we overcome because he is with us. And if you are this morning not a Christian here today, and you know your life is full of all kinds of intimidation, and you're thinking, how on earth can I overcome these things? We would love to introduce you to Jesus. Because he will come and live in you, and there will be a power in you that will be able to overcome every opposition and every intimidation that any of us ever face. And we who are Christians, we simply forget sometimes to continue to live in him and live in his power.
I think that intimidation is uh, twinned with the word fear. Because fear and intimidation kind of have very similar traits to them. I don't know what you've been finding, but one of the things I've discovered is we've been looking at taking acts of courage, getting out of the comfort zone, doing things that we would not... And immediately I'm intimidated. I find I'm pushed back by fear. And I don't know why, but I've always thought maybe there'll come a time in my life when fear will disappear once and for all. And I may be a simple soul, but I've just recently discovered there's never going to be a moment like that in my life. The potential for fear... This side of heaven will always be with you. Why? Because when you overcome that fear in him, that is when the courageous acts begin to happen. Fear is this intimidating barrier that we need to overcome. And me standing here saying, well, when the fear's gone, when the intimidation's gone, then I'll make an act of courage. It's actually walking through the fear and intimidation that makes you courageous. That's the very point when courage kicks in. It's interesting that It says of Peter that when he stood up on the day of Pentecost and he was very bold, I don't know whether he was bold until he stood up. There just had to come a moment where he stood up and he started to speak and he was flooded with courage because they said of him he was very bold. Just a few days ago he'd been shaking in his boots, frightened of what people would say to him. Can I ask you the question this morning then? In what area... Are you intimidated? When we were back in this prayer meeting back in January, I just felt God say that one of the keys for King's Church to really make a bigger impact upon this area is individuals who are still succumbing to intimidation. What will they think? What will they say? If I do this, what will be the repercussions? What will be the consequences? And if this church could be full of men and women, very ordinary men and women as we all are, But empowered by God, we will start to see people overcoming intimidation. And then corporately as a church, there may well be a prophetic thing here, that in order for us to impact this area, we need a robust church corporately to say, we know who we are, and we know that the opposition is this, and we know that God is with us, and we know his promises. And together you will overcome all the difficulties that are around you. One of the nations I get to visit once or twice a year, every year, that is just a huge blessing to me is the nation of Zimbabwe. If ever you want to go to a nation which is full of intimidation, there it is. What you will not hear on your televisions and, and newspapers is that in the midst of this nation, there is a church that is so robust and so strong that not only is it continuing to preach the gospel is the only answer, not only are they planting churches everywhere and healing the sick and seeing miracles happen, that every week thousands of people coming to Christ. There's an estimated kind of 12 million population left in Zimbabwe. It used to be 20-something million. There's 12 million left. Four million of them are all paid-up members of the Zimbabwean Evangelical Alliance. That's a lot of people. Why is that? Because when there is massive intimidation... You find a church full of people who say, we're not having this. And they're amazing people because they don't pray against the government, they pray for them. And they don't think that's the solution anyway because they know the gospel is the only answer. And being in their meetings and bringing their prayer meetings, they, go, they say to me so, all the time, thank you so much for coming. And I want to say, you have no idea how privileged I am to be here. I come back on that plane completely overwhelmed by the things I've seen and experienced. Can we stand together, please? I just would like you to keep your eyes closed. And I'm unashamedly going to make an appeal. And we'll, I want to invite people to come down to the front. We've got a lot of space all over here and here. And people are going to come and pray with you as well. Coming forward at an end of a message like this doesn't remove the intimidation. Because the intimidation may well still be there when you face it next week. But what it does do is it's saying, Lord, I'm stepping out. I'm not trying to sort this thing out. Please, Lord, I am putting my faith in you to overcome this intimidation. And right now as I'm praying, think of those things that intimidate you. And as we pray with you, I believe you are going to find, because you step out, you're going to find God strengthen you. 
and empower you. You're going to have a greater sense of your identity. You're going to have a greater sense of knowing that God is with you. Some of you are facing storms, literally, right now. And they're very, very intimidating. But the great news is this. Jesus is in the boat and he's in the storm with you. I often think about Peter, who was one of those fishermen. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? What are you doing sleeping? Jesus was sleeping because he was so at peace in the midst of the storm. And a few chapters into Acts, there's that story when Peter is about to be beheaded the next day. And do you know what he's doing? He's sleeping. I often think, did, you, did Peter learn the lesson to not allow intimidation to overcome him? If you're in a storm this morning, We'd love to quickly pray for you. Some of us are intimidated by people's views of us. Do you know what? I get far too affected by what people think about me all the time. I'm approved by God. We heard that right at the beginning of this meeting. Why do I need the approval of other people? Folks, come on. Some of you need to step out this morning. Stop being intimidated by the comments of other people about you as a person. Some of us are intimidated by family members. Can I just say to you, this is so important, if you're in any kind of relationship with family members or others, whereby you, you are intimidated, it's something to deal with. Some of us are controlled and manipulated emotionally. I've known this in my own life for many years. And it wasn't until I realized what was going on that I was brought into a place of freedom. Some of us are intimidated by lies. Some of us are afraid of death. Some of us are full of anxiety. Some of us, some of us are even intimidated by raising our children. Lord, help me when they get to be teenagers. I mean, how intimidating is that? It's a whole generation that's intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Believe God. Know who you are. Know what God has said. Some of us are intimidated by what might happen in the future or facing financial intimidation or... Maybe it's sickness. I've spoken to several people recently, just overwhelmed by illness. And in the midst of all these things, God wants us to overcome. Hallelujah. And while I was driving down this morning, knowing I was going to speak, I actually felt that there's some people here who are intimidated by leaders. And you need to know that's not God's will for you. It could have been that you've had past experiences and you're always a bit nervous of people who represent authority. And it's, it's stopping you from really pressing into some things. Because godly leaders will never intimidate you. They'll serve you and love you and help you through. If you're wanting to be prayed for, would you just come forward right now? Come down the front. Don't hold back. Rush down here because time's gone. And we'd love to pray for you. I know there are many, many of you. And as I said earlier, coming forward doesn't do a magical trick. It doesn't make the problems disappear. They'll still be there. Please come down the front. There's loads of space down here. There's loads of you. Keep coming, keep coming. If you could just broaden out, follow Alid over to the corner. Just don't let him baptize you, whatever you do. Just, <laughs> just keep going over there. <clears throat> keep moving along. That's fantastic, wonderful. And if people could come that pray for these people. I'm going to pray a prayer. And then I'd love you to carry on praying. So if you are in a prayer ministry team or in leadership in this church, I'd love you to come forward because when we've prayed, I'd like you just to say, come on, just just declare, what is is the thing you'd like me to pray for you for? And stand together in prayer and really see God come. I'd love every person here to be prayed for. So I'm still waiting. If there's anybody else that, if you're intimidated by the thought of praying for someone, (laughs) come out, come on. Because it's the body of Christ and we can love and serve one another. Hallelujah. Father, I want to thank you for all these wonderful people who've just taken this step. Just pray for the whole congregation. Whether we've come out or not, we are and will face potential intimidation. I pray for every person. This is so important. We do not allow intimidation to win the day. However big the sons of Anak are, however big the problem that you are facing, God is with you. 
All you've got to do is trust in him and rely upon him. And Father, right now I pray for everybody that's come out the front. You know everything that these people are facing right now. Every, every intimidating thought, whether it's from people or situations. And we lift every one of them to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just come? We've had the joy, Lord, of seeing so many people break through, step out of the comfort zone, and find that when they've stepped out, they're no longer intimidated. Hallelujah. Because you are with us. The Bible says more than anything other promise, fear not, for I am with you. Let that truth right now, Holy Spirit, just come deeply into every person right here now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Whatever these people that have come forward are facing, you have the answer. Folks that have come forward, I just ask you now just to put your faith in the one who has overcome every intimidation. He's living in you. All he's doing is asking you to live in him. And you're going to see, so exciting, you're going to see such break. There's going to be so many stories coming out of people this morning in the weeks and months to come where intimidation is dealt with once and for all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love folk to be able to keep praying for one another. I ask Paul to just say whatever needs to be said. Thank you, Dave. So ministry team, if I can ask you to um, get praying, that'd be great just to release you into that. I think Ali is going to continue to uh, strum and uh, uh, we'll have a bit of musical accompaniment. Um, I just think just to say, once, once we're through praying with these guys, I know I'm responding because I know I struggle with intimidation in my life. And I just wonder if there's a few of you out there yet You've not come forward because you've been too intimidated. You need to come to the front now. Join me as we get prayed for. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a wonderful morning together. If you are visiting, please head over to the welcome area. We'd love to meet you, uh, get to know you a little bit better. Um, Coffee and tea is going to be served. Don't head away without being prayed for this morning if you want to be prayed for. That's great. Thanks very much.